1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 to 5, and it very much fits where I am right now. Um, there are things here that uh, when, I when I first started to prepare this message, I, I wasn't thinking specifically about my invol the involvement I have with Gospel for Asia right now, but it, does, it certainly does apply to me. And it says uh, in these five verses, uh, did they fit up there? Yeah, you got them there. Great. Okay. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So here is Paul reflecting on the time that he spent at Corinth, which was about 18 months, um, uh, the, a year and a half, that, and the scriptures record that back in the book of Acts. So during that time, he says, I, I came to you with fear, with trembling. I didn't come with eloquence. I didn't come with uh, the wisdom of man. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In saying that, he, he sets for the church for all time what is the core. And it's not just like a, a, something that is a, a core among many cores, but the core of the Christian faith is Jesus and him crucified. So Jesus, who he is, the divine son of God who became a man in order that he might be crucified, and through his crucifixion, cause us to, first of all, be rescued from sin. And then secondly, to have the divine nature of God, the nature of Jesus himself, formed in us. Not that we would ever be equal to him or that we would become gods or something. But to, as in living out our human lives, live it out in the way that Jesus lived out his humanity. Well, on earth, and that's that's the crux of everything. Everything about what you do as a Christian, what you believe, what your goals, what your aims are, aims are, center on Jesus, who He is, your relationship with Him, His relationship with you, and Him crucified. Jesus, crucifixion. Now. Starting next Monday night, a week from tomorrow, we're having a week of fasting and prayer here at the church. It'll be uh, 6 o'clock ev every evening for those that would like to come in an evening, and there'll be a time of prayer that will last for probably a couple of hours. And uh, you are encouraged to fast. Uh, we're not trying to set some kind of a schedule as to how much you should fast, but Find some way of setting yourself apart for the Lord. Uh, we'll make sure that the um, 
churches open by 6 o'clock every morning and that the prayer room is open throughout the day. Uh, you can come and you can go. You can come as it, by yourself in pairs or you can uh, just come throughout and have private time whenever you want. You can come as a family. Uh, and, of course, you don't have to just pray here. A uh, time of prayer and separation of yourself to God uh, at your home or wherever you are, if you're working and you got a noon hour lunch break and you can get alone somewhere. But just to, to focus on an intense time of collective corporate fasting and prayer as we seek to see this very thing happen in us and in our church. And that is for Jesus to be glorified, to be magnified, for his life to be seen through us, and then thereby to the world around us. So here's what Paul said. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence. Now, Paul was a natural, gifted speaker. He, he was a, a, a genius when it comes to his intellect, he had amazing natural gifts, but Paul knew very well that to, to truly demonstrate and to teach and to show Jesus for who he is and the power of the cross, it was not going to happen as a result of his personal skill in eloquence. And he said, I did not come with human wisdom. Now, the Greeks sought this. The Greeks looked for human wisdom. They, they were always trying to hear some new theory, some new philosophy. And that's what tickled their ears. That's what piqued their interest. And Paul said, I, I needed to, not to come with argument or the wisdom of man. He needed to come in a whole different spirit. He said, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed the testimony of God. Now, if it's your testimony, then of course your eloquence, your skill, your gift is, is a wonderful thing. Uh, if you were testifying to somebody or something, or if you were called to testify in a court of law, well then the more skill and the eloquence and the wisdom that you have, the better, but this isn't your testimony. This is the testimony of God. And so when we give our testimony of what God has done for us, the focus, well, yes, he's changed us. Yes, he's helped us. Yes, I was a drug addict. Yes, I was a, an alcoholic. Yes, I was this or that. But the, the center and the reason for all of that is Jesus. The change is not a a reflection of my glory, but his. The glory of Jesus. And so I came to proclaim the testimony of God. What is the testimony of God? The testimony of God is the gospel of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus and him crucified. He is the testimony of God that is so needed it was needed then, it's needed now. And he said, I resolved. He made a conscious decision. And this is something that is incumbent upon all of us to resolve, to make a determination that our lives are not really about us. 
It's about Jesus in us and how we reflect him to the world, how we minister to the body of Christ, to our fellow believers, uh, due to his nature and his presence in our lives. It's all about Jesus. I resolved to know nothing. He knew a lot about the Jewish religion. There were people in Acts, or in Corinth rather, that were part of the Jewish synagogue. He wasn't there to talk about the religion of the Jews. Uh, He wasn't there to pay attention to the Greek philosophers and all their notions or try to debunk them. That's not what he was there. The poets, the Greek poets and their magnificent literature, he wasn't there to be a part of that. Or the amazing Greek architecture that was in the city of Corinth. There was so much around him, so much to attract him, so much that could divert his attention away from the centrality of his message. That message was Jesus Christ and him crucified. And today there are many things around us. There are many distractions and we can get caught up in many things that for all intents and purposes are legitimate and in some cases even necessary. Our jobs are, uh, are, are, well, the many different things that we do as families. These are all important things, but they're superfluous. They're incidental to the central message and the call of the Christian, and that is to know Jesus and to make him known, for his nature to be reflected through us to others, and for us through him to minister to the body of Christ. I came to you in weakness, and I don't know if there's ever a time in my life where I I just, that just scripture resonates within my own heart. There are some things that I'm really not sure about, when it comes to some things that uh, I'm dealing with. Um, uh, Paul couldn't entrust in his own strength, and neither can I, and for that matter, neither can you. He said, I came in fear and much trembling. Uh, Paul was aware that he had a lot of enemies. There were a lot of opposing forces to him, and he was very unsure of what to do. The story of uh, Paul's ministry in Corinth is found in Acts chapter 18. And uh, in in the context of what he's testifying here in his letter to the Corinthian church, that I was in fear and I could not trust my own strength. I was in much trembling. In Acts chapter 18, verses 9 to 11, it says this. One night... The Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. And he said, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. And no one is going to attack or harm you. Because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. So in the midst of his own personal uncertainty, the Lord spoke to him in a vision. And he gave clear direction that the Lord was with him. So as he raised his voice, as he proclaimed Jesus and him crucified, and all that that meant, 
He did not need to be afraid. There wouldn't be harm that would come to him, for the Lord would be with him. And so he says, my speech, and in in referring to his speech, um, let's see what verse is that. My speech, where is it? Uh, Oh, you got that scripture. You can go back to the former one, the one in in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. My speech, there he's distinguishing his private conversations with his preaching. Uh, My speech uh, and preaching or my message and my preaching. So they were two distinct things. One was private conversations, and one was his proclamation publicly of the gospel. Um, He he says they were not with enticing words. Uh, This is the kind of oratory that the Greeks loved to hear. Convincing arguments. Somebody who had a persona that was extremely attractive. You just wanted to hear him. You were drawn to his convincing arguments and the personality of the person. and Almost like a cult following. They loved that kind of thing. And Paul said, I didn't come with that. I didn't come with enticing words. I didn't present myself. My wisdom, my knowledge, my education, he had a lot of it. If he lived in today's society, he would have had multiple PhDs. Uh, He he would be revered as an intellect. Uh, Of course he was, but that's not how he presented himself. He presented himself with the simplicity of the gospel, Jesus, and him crucified. And he said... I didn't, my speech and my preaching were not with enticing words, but in demonstration. And there he talks about the Spirit, the demonstration of the Spirit and the power of God. So, in the testimony that he shared about Jesus, it was done through the power of the Spirit, the supernatural, infinite God who became mortal man, but never laid aside his deity, was the pure son of God, the pure son of man, to testify of a heavenly man who came to this world, it would take more than human eloquence. It would take the power of the Spirit, not just in words, but in demonstration. And so no doubt he was talking about miracles and signs and wonders that God would do at his hand as in his humility and in his demeanor he preached Jesus and him crucified. He says, so that your faith, and what he's talking about is their faith in the divine origin of the Christian religion, if you can call it that, or the Christian faith. It was faith in the fact that Jesus is God. The message of the cross is divine. That your faith would not stand uh, in persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human Power, but on the power of God. Now, uh, that power is manifest 
first and foremost, not through the signs and wonders of seeing miracles, as wonderful as they are. And we can have a fascination and a drawing to let's see the power of God displayed, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the primary, the primary expression of the power of God is the change of the human heart to be cause a person to become more like Jesus, to reflect more of who he is, and to demonstrate amongst ourselves in the church and in the world of, around us his character. Uh, and the Corinthian people, in spite of having Paul as their instructor and their mentor, they failed miserably at this quest. Uh, let me read a few scriptures to you. First uh, Corinthians chapter one, verse four to nine. This is the opening remarks of Paul uh, to the Corinthian church, and he said, "I always thank my God for you because of His grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in Him, in Jesus." You have been enriched in every way. So there is us becoming, finding our lives in him. And, and we are enriched by that in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gifts. This is an amazing thing. When you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13 and chapter 14, and, and Joshua spoke about that so eloquently here this past Monday night, I think it was Monday night or Sunday night, um, all of the spiritual gifts, this church didn't lack any of them. You come behind in, in no gifts. Um, and you're eagerly waiting for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. That literally means they're waiting for the coming, the second coming of Christ. So their focus was on Jesus in them, them in Jesus, and the ultimate return, the ultimate consummation of that relationship in the return of Christ for his church. And, and it says, he will also keep you firm to the end. So he'll keep you strong. He, you won't fail and you won't falter. And this is his testimony to the church. So that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So there's a calling into, uh, there's a faithful calling. God doesn't, God isn't wishy-washy when it comes to this. It's what he purposes. For you to be in Christ, to know what that means, to have Christ in you and to know what that means, and to demonstrate that through the power of the Spirit. Well, as you go through the book of Corinth, you find there was all kinds of problems. And so you come to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verse 17, and you find that uh, Paul says, In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. So how can this be? God has 
keeping them firm to the end. They become behind in no spiritual gifts. How can it be said that it would be better for them to not even have church? Because when you get together, you're doing more harm than than you're doing good. It seems like a total incongruency, a contradiction of everything that he said previously about the power of Jesus in the church and the power of the Spirit demonstrating Jesus in the church and in the world around them. But your meetings do more harm than good. And then when you go into the um, uh, rest of the book of 1 Corinthians, you'll find that there were divisions. People were saying, well, I, I follow Paul. And others were saying, I follow Cephas. And others saying, well, I follow Jesus. And some were saying, well, I was baptized by Paul. I was baptized by Cephas or Peter. And they were arguing about who was the greatest in the kingdom of God based upon who their spiritual hero was. And we do that in the church today. <laughs> People have their spiritual heroes. They, they follow this man or that man, and, and they become more consumed with what this person says or that person or this prophet or that prophet instead of their pure devotion to the word of God in order for Jesus to be formed, truly formed in them and for his character to be revealed through them. Now, there's nothing wrong with prophets or other ministers. But when we come into a fascination where we start to say we're better than others because we have all of these prophets or our connection and all our research and attention that we give to them. So they were, they were divided over who their heroes were. And then they were... Uh, and you go through to chapter 5, there was sexual immorality in the church, even to the point of incest, and nobody was doing anything about it. The leaders were silent. In the sixth chapter of the book of Acts, you come into lawsuits, and people were taking each other to court. And in that same chapter, Paul says, Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters or adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So why is he even saying this? Because this is what was going on in the church. And what he's saying basically is, when I came to you, I determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. And all of these practices that you are engaged in contradicts his nature and the nature of the testimony of God. It contradicts what your faith is really all about. For all of these practices are not expressions of who he is, or the power of the gospel that has been demonstrated through you, all of these are of a contrary thing. And so we, are, we come face to face with who we are in the 21st century. And what, and what we do and the 
personal practices of each one of us and corporately as a congregation? Do they reflect Jesus? Are we determined to know nothing except him? Or are we given to slander, to criticism? And, to, and I'm not trying to identify anything that's going on in the church because I'm not aware specifically of any of those things happening or sexual immorality. It's, it's not something that is a, a, an apparent problem in the church. I'm just saying that there is a summons to all of us, myself included, that I dare not know anything when it comes to my own human wisdom or intellect, when it comes to determining the purposes and the will of God. I dare not rely upon my own thinking or whatever ability the Lord might have given me to, to try to figure out things of law and lawsuits and, and those who break the law in the name of the church. I, I, I dare not rest upon my own wisdom. Uh, it will fail me every time. In pastoring the church, I give myself to the teaching of the scriptures and what the scriptures say to us as the people of God, and I try to faithfully minister the word of the Lord. But if I dare, in any fashion, depend upon what natural abilities I may or may not have, ultimately, I will fail. The only thing that endures is the degree to which Jesus is formed in me and I find my life in him. And through my utter dependence upon that, the power of the Spirit works through me so that my testimony, my words, are not with enticing words of man's wisdom or some kind of sensational speech, but my words are the words that reflect him, who he is, and who he wants to be in me. That's where it starts. There is no, nothing that extends from that that is of any value unless it's true for me that he lives in me, that his life is expressed through me, and that I'm utterly dependent upon that and not on anything or anyone else. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word. And as your church, we say to you, Lord, and to others in this room, to ourselves and to those who are not here in our families and our communities, um, that we determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. We determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Will you say that with me? We determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now having said that, what thoughts, what behaviors, would the Holy Spirit put on your heart and your mind and say, this has to change. This needs to be altered drastically because it does not reflect the testimony of God, that testimony being Jesus.
<coughs> Lord, we determine. Say it again, would you? We determine to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. And to him we give all glory. Say it with me. To him we give all glory. All praise. And we lay down our lives. As Lord, you laid down your life. You took up your cross for us. And we take up our cross for you. Amen.